2: Good morning, and welcome to the Yoga Hour, a time to open our hearts and minds to the infinite. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien while she's away. Today, in our conversation, I'll be sharing some insights and time-tested practices from the ancient system of Kriya Yoga. Yoga is a Sanskrit word, which is familiar to many, if not everyone, uh, today, but when many people hear the word yoga, they think more along the lines of physical exercise, when yoga is actually a very wide system of philosophy and practice for spiritually conscious, fulfilled living in today world, The word yoga actually means oneness, union, or unity, the bringing together of our attention and awareness with our essential spiritual nature. And our topic today is... Is getting in the driver's seat, managing your mood with yoga. We're going to be discussing how yoga can help us manage our mood and emotions and learn tools that support us in living a life that is free from the suffering of anxiety and depression. And we couldn't have a better person to discuss this with. My guest today is Amy Weintraub. Amy has been a pioneer in the field of yoga and mental health for over 20 years. Amy's the founder of Life Force Yoga Healing Institute. Institute and the author of two books, Yoga for Depression, A Compassionate Guide to Relieve Suffering Through Yoga, and Yoga Skills for Therapists, Effective Practices for Mood Management. She offers the Life Force Yoga Practitioner Training for Mood Management to health and yoga professionals and offers workshops for everyday practitioners. She's a senior Kripalu teacher and an award-winning fiction writer. She currently lives in Tucson, Arizona. And her website, where you can read more about her and her programs and books, is yogafordepression.com. Welcome, Amy Weintraub. I'm delighted you could join me today on the Yoga Hour.
1: Thank you, Laurel. I'm just thrilled to be here with you.
2: So before we begin our dialogue about managing your mood with yoga, let's begin with a moment of meditation. Let's practice what we're actually talking about or going to be talking about this hour with this yoga moment. Oh. And let's begin. By turning our attention within, taking this moment out of our busy day to just be present here and now. And let's use the tool that we have with us always, our breath, which is a wonderful tool to help us bring our attention and awareness to the present, wherever we are and whatever we're doing. So let's begin by taking a fully conscious breath, just noticing as we inhale. And exhale. We can just observe our breath, not trying to change it, just noticing its natural flow. Cool air entering the nostrils. And warm air flowing out. Each inhale, we can dive within. And each exhale, we can relax. Relax. In this moment, as we dive within, we can open our heart to the essence at the core of our being. This one reality, called by many names, is the support and substance of all that is. Right where we are, right here and now, this divine essence is present. As you As me, as everyone and everything. It's within us, between us, and all around us. Just by being present now and noticing, we can rest in this essence of our being. We notice thoughts and feelings as they arise and as they pass away. We become aware of our essential nature beyond words and thoughts, beyond all change, beyond sensation pure existence being. We feel the peace that emanates from the essence of our being and allow it to pervade the mental field, the emotional nature, and the physical body. We abide in this peace and let it overflow as blessing for all beings, everywhere. Oh. Once again, Amy Weintraub, welcome to the Yoga Hour. Oh, thank
1: you. Beautiful meditation, Laurel. Thank you Oh, thank you. Hmm.
2: I always enjoy starting with that somehow grounding ourselves in the moment uh, really prepares us for the, for you and me for the conversation ahead and hopefully the listeners to be able to more clearly hear what we're what we're saying. Yes. So and you know and I
1: I was just going to say that was a perfect meditation for anxiety and depression because you talked through it mm. and for so so many people with a lot of rumination um, the silence in meditation can sometimes be troubling. It can t- spiral them into a darker place. So it's a perfect lead-in to what we'll be talking about.
2: Hmm. Oh, good. So, Amy, in your book, Yoga for Depression, A Compassionate Guide to Relieve Suffering Through Yoga, you chronicle your own experience with depression, including both Western and yoga approaches, which personally I found very um, I don't know, very helpful in addressing this whole area, you know, to read your personal story. So so thank you for including that. And can you, for our listeners, can you talk a little bit about how you became interested in using yoga to relieve depression?
1: Well, it was kind of the surprise of the effect of yoga on my own mental health. I had been suffering and uh, in therapy for a long time and on medication And um, there were aspects of the therapy that certainly helped me understand aspects of family of origin issues. There were the medications certainly helped me. uh, But it wasn't until I began a, a daily practice of yoga that really my mood began to transform. And I became passionate about understanding why that would be. So first, I became a yoga teacher after a couple of years of my own practice. And then I i thought I was really deepening my own practice in my uh, first yoga teacher training at Krakalo a month long, which was a, an immersion. It was wonderful um, many years ago. And I thought that's why I was there. But I just became so passionate to share what had transformed my life with others uh, and so I began to work with researchers. I began to write articles about yoga and mental health and uh, that just it was just became my passion to
2: serve mm-hmm. in that way. Oh that's um, uh, really. A lovely story, and I think everyone can connect with that, you know, idea of finding something that really ignites your passion and then just kind of following it along, which then I imagine inspired you to write your book.
1: Yeah. Yes, well, I had first written an article for Yoga Journal in 1999, it was called Yoga the Natural Prozac, and it was really the first article in Yoga Journal or anywhere about yoga and mental health. Because before that, it had been more thought of as either a spiritual path or an exercise, and mm-hmm. not therapeutically. And uh, and so that article kind of like started the ball rolling. And uh, I at that time I had been a fiction writer for many years, a depressed fiction writer, uh, <laughs> banging my head against the wall in New York. I had won some national awards for short stories, but my novels weren't published, and. And I I just began to uh, integrate yoga and mental health uh, into my into my daily life, and that began um, that whole journey of integration of yoga and mental health. So it 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 uh, it, it sort of sourced me to then write the book and um, sort of. The, you know, the red carpet rolled out, uh, at least for New York publishing. they would never really responded to my fiction, but they, <laughs> they sort of said, oh, yes, let's do this. And mm-hmm. so they got behind, New York got behind that book uh, and uh, and published it. And it really, it's been a moving experience because so many people who've read that book, who, who are suffering, have come to me and said, you know, I became a yoga teacher because of that book, or mm-hmm. I, um, even at a conference this summer, um, I, where it's mostly social workers, as a yoga and mental health conference. The person who introduced me said that she had been a yoga teacher and on a spiritual path for 30 years, and she was a clinical social worker in private practice, mm-hmm. and those Those two paths never merged until Hmm. she read Yoga for Depression, and it gave her the permission to really start integrating. So that, for me, more than anything else, those kinds of stories from people who've
2: read the book mean so much to me, Uh, Hmm. so gratifying. Oh, I'm sure. So, one of the things that caught my attention at the very beginning of the book, you share a story about empty pockets. No. Would you would you share that story with our listeners and, yeah. and how how did the how did the negative implications of this idea of empty pocket change to a positive one for you?
1: Well, it was really—it's sort of like Bhavana. It's sort of like the non-dual approach of like uh, the of how of the polarities, and then stepping back into the oneness. But let me go, let me address the the actual story. That that little reference to non-dualism probably didn't make sense to a lot of folks. <laughs> um, let me just address that story. Yeah, I was driving about. First of all, I had been in treatment with a psychiatrist for about nine years, and you know, and she was also my therapist. And I loved her. There was the transference. And she had said to me, you're one of those people who will always have empty pockets. Mm. And it was kind of a blanket statement. Uh, I didn't question it at the time. But it certainly, you know, when you have that kind of transference relationship, you believe what your therapist says. So I was—I had been practicing yoga. I learned yoga first, um, well, oh, through Richard Hittleman Records many years before that, but a regular practice at Kripalu in, in the late '80s. And I was driving across the Newport Bridge around where I lived at the time, uh, and I was. Uh, had my eyes softly closed half closed not I wouldn't recommend this um, (laughs) I was listening to the wonderful psychologist and healer Jean Houston on an audio cassette leading a workshop um, that was about naming yourself and the name that bubbled up for me was abundance Mm -hmm. and I said to myself well well, where did abundance come from? I'm supposed to be one of those people with empty pockets. Mm-hmm. And at that point, I started questioning sort of what the, the, the belief I had taken on about myself. And I went to my beloved therapist, um, psychiatrist, and said, you know, I don't, I don't. I'd like to come off my medication. I don't feel I need it. And she saw me as one of those people. She had finally stabilized on the particular medication at the time, and she was reluctant to take me off the medication, so reluctantly on my part, I went to see a friend's psychiatrist terminated with the person I had been seeing for all those years. He saw me for about three months and said, you know, I don't see you as a candidate for this medication. And we slowly titrated me off right. medication, working with daily practice. And I haven't, that was 1989,
2: and I haven't been on medication since. Wow. And I should say, as a Western trained physician, for, you know, sure. listeners, medication, I'm sure you agree, medication, can be absolutely wonderful, mm-hmm. uh, for, for people who respond to it. Um, it can absolutely help people get their, you know, life back on track. So I don't feel that what we're advocating is everybody to stop no. their medication and certainly not stop it suddenly. And I thought I really appreciated how you talked about how slowly you came off because mm-hmm. these medications, you know, definitely change your physiology and you do need to withdraw them, you know, slowly. But what I really appreciated about this story is I think it points to something essential about the yoga approach to depression. Um, and as you talk about in your book, um, antidepressants really treat the, you know, the physical, especially um, you had mentioned Prozac. So the Prozac-like drugs, the selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors is the name of the class or SSRIs. Mm-hmm. Those drugs alter the uh, The concentration of neurotransmitters in the brain. Mm -hmm. Um, so clearly it's a physiological or physical thing that, you know, that is going on. But you've, you know, you talk about in the book how yoga really allows us to get in touch with our underlying wholeness, um, that is healing at more, at a deeper level than just dealing with the body. Yes, I guess that's what I wanted to say, and you make that point, you know, in the book, Mm -hmm. that it really is much more of a global approach to healing anything but depression in this instance, because that's what we're talking about. And um, I loved, actually, the word that you came up with, the name you came up with of abundance, because Mm -hmm. it is touching that place within us that is abundant.
1: Mm beautifully said yes that's very articulate and just to make just to piggyback a little bit on the medication issue i say to people you know there are some of us can slowly slowly titrate with supervision off our medication if we have a daily practice and other others of us may not do that we may be able to reduce the dosage but maybe not and i say to people if you need to take a medicine to get you to the yoga mat bless it
2: yes yes absolutely absolutely and I, and I do I did want to make that very clear because I, I think that there is a there is a, a way that trying to use uh, anything any alternative you know healing method it can become an either or conversation, Mm -hmm. which I just think is not helpful. I just don't think that's helpful. I mean, these, you know, these uh, medications exist in the world um, in the same way that everything else does and in the same way that everything in the world is, you know, is permeated with the divine, medications are as well. Just because they're man-made, it doesn't mean that they don't, you know, have that essence, you know, to them as well. So, it really is, Trying to be open and using what we'll talk about a little bit more of self-study to try and figure out what is it that you need and what's the best approach for Mm -hmm. you, which can be very personal.
1: Yes, yes, beautifully said. Um, Should we talk about Swajaya self-study?
2: Well, let's do just a a couple more uh, Mm -hmm. uh, things. We will definitely come back to that. But I I did want to give you a chance to talk about... um, in your view, what makes yoga work when so many models fail? And and perhaps I've already kind of stolen the thunder a little bit because I do think it has to. You know, it does have something to do with, you know, with our uh, connection with our own inner wholeness and inner abundance. But is there yes. anything else that you'd that you would say?
1: Oh, I would say there's so many aspects to yoga. Um, first of all. You know, what we do when we practice pranayama breathing exercises is we have this felt sense of that connection you're speaking of, that felt Mm -hmm. sense of getting beneath the story and the mood. Those breathing practices clear the space of whatever story we've brought with us to the mat or the cushion. It's, It's... they're kind of remarkable in that way. And mm-hmm. if we pay attention to that spaciousness, we have so much more room inside us for that authenticity, that sense of self with a capital S, that that oneness, that um, Atman and Brahman are one, however you want to phrase it, mm-hmm. it's, um, it's, it we make room for that. And that goes beneath the story and the mood. And when we're depressed, if we do even a brief practice, we get a glimpse of that. Mm -hmm. um, Even just just if the window opens slightly, it gives us hope. And then, of course, there's all the biological, there's the biochemical changes. There's the the GABA increase, uh, which is, you know, GABA is, Lower when we have anxiety and depression, and Chris Streeter has done wonderful research and continues to do show. so. She's got a big NIH grant right now um, at BU, and there that there's wonderful research out there that speaks to the biochemical changes as we practice through the breath, through mudra, through mantra, through many. Practices, as you've alluded to at the beginning, Laurel, that don't even require a yoga mat, that don't mm-hmm. require asana or the ability to... Uh, to. Uh, execute a sun salutation. <laughs> right.
2: <laughs> yeah. So um, I wanted to give you a chance. We've got about um, maybe five minutes before the break. So um, I know you wrote your first book, Yoga and Depression, in 2003, 2004. And then you wrote a second book, Yoga Skills for Therapists, uh, in 2012. Mm-hmm. And um, and in our in our conversation, our emails before this, um you mentioned how much your your approach kind of has evolved you know over the years. So can you talk about that a little bit how is how has your teaching changed in terms of maybe what you focus on or your exercises you use and and from mm-hmm. beginning when the you know wrote the book and then um into the present time?
1: Oh, um, yeah, I'd love to talk to you about that. Um, well, right after the book came, the first book came out, um, I began um, teaching a training at Kripalu that has evolved into the Life Force Yoga Practitioner Training. And in doing so, we've trained many mental health professionals, medical professionals, coaches. Clergy and of course, yoga teachers and using yoga strategies and yoga skills and practices to help folks manage mood. And so, in that evolution, uh, not only the work I do or I have done in the past in with individuals, but the work that these folks who've been trained who are out there in the field working in clinics and uh, drug treatment programs and VAs and hospitals, their feedback has really um, made a difference. And we revise our manual every year. So the specific practices, for example, instead of beginning with a yogic three-part breath, which is pretty traditional in most um, yoga schools, we right. might begin with something else that'll we'll, maybe we'll talk about more specifically later called stair step breath um, yes. and that's been adapted so we've adapted, modified, accommodated, adjusted as Swami Shivananda uh, suggested many years ago, so that it's these practices are accessible for everyone, not just mm-hmm. people on a yoga path because right. they're such healing practices. Um so other practices that we've changed the language in which we introduce it because some people have gone to a yoga class and been absolutely turned off to yoga because they weren't able to breathe the way the teacher has instructed and I think it's right. probably time for our break so I'll we'll stop talking now. <laughs>
2: No, that's, that's great though, because yeah. you've really given a picture of, you know, the real time use. So, you know, put something out there and then you get feedback from people on the front line. And obviously what we want is we want this, these practices to be accessible and to be helpful for everyone. As you said, not just people who are on the yoga path. So, so that's really lovely. And, and we will absolutely get back to the stair step breath. You're listening to The Yoga Hour with our guest, Amy Weintraub. She's been a pioneer in the field of yoga and mental health for over 20 years. You can find out more about her and her work at the website yogafordepression.com. We welcome your comments and questions. You can contact us at yogahour at unity.fm. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien. And when we come back from the break, we'll explore more about managing your mood with yoga. We'll be right
3: Unity Online Radio brings you inspiring programs on a variety of spiritual topics. Giving to the network is now easier than ever.
0: Listening to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. We now return to the Yoga Hour.
3: It is the birthright of each and every one of us to live an awakened life. Most religions and spiritual traditions teach us that we need to adopt a certain belief system or follow some prescribed steps to attain a state of enlightenment. A long-held belief about awakening is that only a small number of people destined to become gurus or spiritual teachers can attain it. It is certainly true that until recent times only a small number of people on the planet had attained this state of full self-realization. These saints, mystics, and spiritual masters were seen as special. They certainly were at the time. However, Times are changing. This message was brought to you by TJ Woodward, host of Awakened Living Radio. Learn more from TJ on his weekly podcasts. Episodes are available on unityonlineradio.org, iTunes, and Google Play Music.
0: You're listening to the Yoga Hour, living the eternal way with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien.
2: We now return to The Yoga Hour. Welcome back to the Yoga Hour. I'm Dr. Laurel Trujillo, sitting in for the Yoga Hour's regular host, Yogacharya O'Brien, and I'm joined today by Amy Weintraub, author of the books Yoga for Depression and Yoga Skills for Therapists. You can find out more about Amy's work at the... I, I, I was going to mention this, Amy. It's a wonderful website name, <laughs> yogafordepression.com. <laughs> so it should be easy for our listeners to find. Yeah. Um, so I... Uh, as as we were chatting a little bit about you know obviously the yoga hour is uh interested in expanding people's view about yoga you know to be much more inclusive than just the physical asanas and and I really appreciated that about your books that you really take that approach as well um you know not just focusing on the asana but the many many you know tools and um approaches um philosophy that's that's really that's really part of yoga as well yeah. um Kriya Yoga, which we teach at the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, uh, CSE, which is the, the, uh, funder of this, uh, podcast, is, um the Kriya Yoga is based on Patanjali's Yoga Sutras as well, and follows the same uh, eight-limbed path that you describe. And for people who know yoga, you may you may have heard about an eight-limbed path. We won't get to talking about all the eight limbs today, but at any rate, that's a very um, it's kind of a uh, encapsulated description, you know, of of uh, uh, the yoga practices. So. In your book, you describe yoga as resting on a sturdy tripod of willful practice or tapas, the Sanskrit word is tapas for that, self-observation, svadhyaya, which we've talked about a little and we'll we'll discuss more in a minute, and then surrender, Mm -hmm. Ishvara Pranidhana. Um, And that's also the definition of Kriya Yoga that's given in Patanjali's Yoga Sutras. So, let's talk about a little bit about each of those. So, willful practice or self-discipline may initially feel overwhelming to someone who's depressed. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, how do you motivate someone to start or maybe once they've started to actually get them to continue to practice? Because again, depression... Uh, It's a weight that you have Mm -hmm. to overcome to, you know, to be able to move forward and to do these practices.
1: Yes. Um, So what we think of as tapas, which is, you know, that commitment may look different for someone um, who is suffering from the weight of depression, as you've described it, simply getting on their mat and starting in child pose. May be their tapas. It may not look like a sun salutation or series A vinyasa flow, or it may (laughs) be that it's very simple. And what we talk about in Life Force Yoga is meeting the mood. So if you have a tamasic mood or a heavy, which is Sanskrit for that kind of lethargy, heaviness, uh, that includes depression, you probably want to meet that mood with something that starts very gently, softly, maybe even starting in bed with some yogic breathing and some gentle movement. Maybe starting... Everyone has to take a bio break in the morning, so on your way back from the bathroom, maybe just simply doing three rounds of breath of joy with the mantra... Lum at the end to ground and perhaps you won't get back in bed or you'll get in bed with more clarity. So mm-hmm. tapas looks different depending on whether you're
2: anxious or depressed or balanced, you know, in between. -hmm. I really appreciate that you, that you mentioned meeting the mood because, uh, as we've, you and I have talked about, I have gone through the life force, uh, training, life force yoga training. And that was a very powerful piece of it for me is, is, um, not expecting someone who is in that in that mood that you're describing you know that sort of you know heavy lethargic mood to like jump up and start doing sun salutations i mean it's just not really realistic mm-hmm. but to allow people a way in from their starting point
1: mhm mhm that's that's it and and also you know when we're anxious if we're simply watching the breath Um, That can make us even more anxious. If we start too slowly when the mind is revved or in a rajasic state, lots of vrittis in Sanskrit, lots of thought patterns, lots of waves in the mind, um, then what we need is to burn off some of that energy. So rather than go to, say, a uh you know restorative <laughs> yoga class which can drive someone crazy in the beginning if they you know have a lot of anxiety right um, they need something that that you know meets them where they are that maybe with some right. standing pranayama or some some uh you know or sun salutations to burn it off and then slow down to
2: find that right. balance Right, which, and even just the little bit that you've said so far, also shows the versatility of a yoga approach, that it's not mm-hmm. just one thing and it's definitely not one size fits all. Exactly. So, let's turn to uh, Svadhyaya, which we mentioned a little bit in the earlier part of the show. Um one of the hallmarks of depression is self-criticism and negative thinking. Mm-hmm. So when we talk about the self-observation of yoga, how does that differ from the introspection and, as we've said, self-criticism and negative thinking that, that accompanies depression?
1: That's a really good question, Laurel. So when I was talking about that in Yoga for the Depression, the book, I was speaking in terms primarily at that point of uh, asana practice. So when we are in a pose, a posture, um, instead of simply powering through it or um, thinking about something else... To be doing some self inquiry, and that can include sensing into where the pose is landing in the body. How is my, you know, my hip aligning with my knee? How is my foot aligning with my knee? So it creates a focus, uh, a sense of, uh, of of really sort of self inquiry as we're practicing. Uh, so that it, it, it's, it's like a portal inward, because when the body, you know, the mind is a time traveler, when the body is always, but the body is always present. So when we can bring our awareness to, say, the sensation in the shoulder or the, the opening feeling in the chest as we're rotating it, We can bring our awareness to that sensation. We're in that present moment and we're beneath the story. Right in that moment, we're beneath the mood. We're present. So that's how what I meant by Swajaya within um, Asana.
2: Right. And as we talk about it now, though, you know, from from your current viewpoint, and I think mm-hmm. from the, you know, yoga viewpoint in general, mm-hmm. um, what's wonderful is, is I think that that becomes a skill that translates into your life. Yes. And you, it opens up yoga practice, which includes not just asana, but pranayama and meditation and these other things that we are going to touch on. Uh, it really opens up a space so that we realize that we are not our thoughts, mm-hmm. <laughs> that we are, that we are, that we can watch them like we, like I led in the meditation this mm-hmm. morning, that it's something that you can then notice about yourself. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can notice when thoughts do spin into this self-criticism, negative thinking kind of a place mm-hmm. and know from your, you know, your uh, prior experience that that's not helpful to go yes. there because you just get into a spin you just yes. you know it it ends up being that it's like a water wheel that turns that keeps turning around and turning around and turning around you get really get caught and then mm-hmm. as you said you can use some other way some other tool to bring your awareness into the present moment like your breath yes um, can, which, can I
1: um, add that sure. um, uh, the 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 way in which um, we begin to become aware of our thoughts and, and not attached to them, not fused with them, not fused with the negative spiral of self talk that sometimes accompanies anxiety and depression, may not initially be simply watching. That comes yes. a little later. Um, Sometimes we have to, what I like to say, give the mind a bone first. So before we can get to the place of full swajaya, watching and observing without reacting, but rather responding, sometimes when there's a lot of rumination, a lot of negative self-talk, We need to focus the mind, and I know Kriya Yoga has many techniques for this, as Mm -hmm. does the life force yoga practice. And that's where we bring in universal sound, a mantra that is not affiliated with deity, because this is accessible to all and used in medical fields as well. Um, But mantra, uh, mudra, hand gestures, uh, and visualization, which is bhavana, Yogis have used uh, visual imagery for thousands of years to help us manage the mood. Uh, And and meditations that focus the mind before we can simply begin to just observe and uh, understand that we're not our thoughts. So there's a, you know, for depression and anxiety, there's a first step. And that's what's changed, I think, a lot since I wrote the first book the understanding of how important those other strategies are before we simply are able to practice Swajaya
2: through meditation. No, that's a really good point. So thank you for that clarification. So... um, We've we mentioned when I was do, doing the introduction to the section the 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 uh, sturdy three legged stool. We've mm-hmm. talked about willful practice. We've talked about self study. So the third aspect is the surrender. Um, the idea of surrender also has a pretty negative connotation within the context of depression, in that you know just surrendering to the heaviness or the inertia. So how does the surrender of yoga? Differ.
1: Oh, that's a beautiful question. Because it's it relies on those first two legs of the tripod. When we practice whether it's pranayama breathing or asana or mudras and mantras and meditation, when we practice with tapas that commitment and with swajaya that self study, what arises is the flow of of a surrender to all that's highest within us. So not to the negative self-talk and not to the spiral of of darker of that darker place. It really what arises is surrender to the oneness, to the absolute, to self with a capital S, to the divine, and that um, that is Kriya Yoga. The rest of that uh, that that stanza from Patanjali is um, Kriya yoga and Kriya mm-hmm. yoga meaning uh, that that clear clear spacious action from a place of unity and mm-hmm. so its this, yeah so it's the surrender to the flow of prana to the flow awesome. of life through us as we practice that brings us to uh, unity in action kriya yoga.
2: Mm, well, Lovely. So, in your books, you use or adapt many yoga practices uh, based on your experience of helping people manage their mood, and we've mentioned already this stair-step breath, which mm-hmm. is a key practice that you use. So, uh, what is the stair-step breath, and how do you use it with clients?
1: Yes. Well, what we recognized is that some people, for very good reason, are upper chest breathers. And uh, you, because of the mind-body connection, there may be a physical anomaly that's creating that upper chest breathing. Often, you know, when we've been traumatized, there's a constriction in the psoas muscle, which in, which uh, shortens the diaphragm. So we're unable to take a deep breath. Mm. And so people who are led into yogic three-part breath and can't do it end up saying uh, they don't like yoga or they don't like the yoga breathing. and right. Uh, so rather than create a a situation where people feel uh, not good enough right away that they're unable to do it or they are able to do it and then emotional flooding occurs, which can happen because they've, they've suddenly reached a place where they're, they are breathing deeply and what they've been tamping down, what they've been repressing suddenly floods, uh, overwhelms them. So we, um, there is an, uh, an ancient practice called analoma and viloma krama, which is segmented breath or kind of a staged breathing. And so we've adapted it. We don't even call, we don't use the language of breathing. We call it um, stair step and we say things like take little steps up the mountain through the nostrils. That's clear what that means without saying you know inhale five times through the nostrils <laughs> which for someone who has had asthma or has had any kind of who has some kind of restriction in their breathing or fear of the breath that you know you say take five little inhale take five sips of breath or inhales that's gonna like trigger that can trigger them and then um so and then slide so we use metaphor we say take little steps up the mountain through the nostrils and then slide down the mountain and as life force yoga practitioners we're doing it with them so we're so they know what we're talking about yeah exactly And then, um, so it meets that, it actually very much, very easily meets a panic attack, because if someone's in a panic, they can't breathe deeply. So if you Mm -hmm. tell them to take a deep breath, that's not going to happen. But if you say, let's take little steps as though you're climbing a mountain. They can access that. And then you fill the lungs and then you maybe, maybe you cue to a bhavana, see something beautiful and
2: fly down the
1: mountain
2: through the yeah. nostrils. Um, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say, and as you were mentioning, tying it with a visualization to engage um, the mind and um Make it more, you know, uh, pairing it with that visualization, I think also makes it more accessible perhaps for Mm -hmm. somebody who's, as you were saying, overwhelmed in an anxious state or, or something Mm -hmm. like that. So yeah, so that, that, uh, was a a good, uh, description. Mm -hmm. So you, you also talked about meditation and you mentioned when I was talking in the meditation this morning that that was a good, um, a good approach for someone for using uh, meditation for mood management. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would also add that it's also a required approach on the radio <laughs> because, you, because you can't leave a long, a long space. People don't, don't think that they think the show is stopped or something, you know, <laughs> so, so um Meditation has been shown to be helpful, actually healing a wide variety of illnesses. So so can you talk more about the meditation that you use in Life Force Yoga and, and how that's been shown to be helpful?
1: Yes, um, and we've actually, there is some research on it that's shown its efficacy. So we use, um, as I said before, we anchor the mind. So what I liked about your meditation was that you talk through it, of course, because it didn't allow for a lot of rumination because if you were paying attention to what you were saying. Now, someone could have gone off and not stopped paying attention to what you were saying and gone into a negative spiral. But uh, so, but there, there are ways in which we can really focus the mind. And one of them is through the use of mudra because that accesses, uh, the ner- there are more nerve endings in the fingers than many other p- parts of the body, and that directly speaks to the brain. There's also mantra, um, so we combine mudra and mantra and pranayama breathing that includes a little bit of bellows breath, which is uh, to clear the space, followed by brahmari-vi breath, which is shown to be, very good in terms of activating the uh, parasympathetic, the vagus nerve, very good practice, uh, Brummery B breath. And then we use mudras and mantras um, that are universal so that they're not going to tread on anyone's uh, religious belief or. Right. Um, so so universal sounds, bija mantras, uh, both the. Uh, the more energizing and grounding sounds that are familiar to most yogis, although we use them in a deep resonant like a lum rather than L-A-M as it's written. We use them more mm-hmm.
0: meditatively.
1: And then we also have a series of cooling, calming sounds, um uh, ah, e, mm, mm, that correspond to the chakras and also to... Um, that, that are like a
2: portal into a mindful practice. Hmm. So uh, you mentioned the, the uh, Brahmari uh, breath, which was another one that I think is, is really useful that I hadn't encountered until the life force training. So can you uh, say a little bit more about that and perhaps demonstrate that? Okay. <laughs> it's a long
1: breath. So we know that when the longer we exhale, the uh, more the parasympathetic or the cooling, calming side of the para, of the autonomic nervous system is engaged. Right. And so it's a ex- long, extended exhalation. It's using sound. It's focused in the throat. It uses a tongue mudra, which is um, a little bit difficult to explain on the radio, but. Um, And it also uses a mudra. So you're creating what in yoga we call prachahara, a withdrawal of the senses. So it's very, oh, it feels luscious to most of us. For some people, it's going to trigger because there may be part of their history that makes them feel not okay with going inside and hearing the reverberation of their own sound. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't want to go into too much detail there because we won't have a chance to... Hear it. Um, so uh, I, you can do it with me, to, but it's you're probably not going to get all the pieces of it. I'm not going to cue to the mudra. Just know we'll just do the sound part. Um, so we won't be using the hand gesture. So we'll be inhaling and drawing the back of the tongue to the back of the throat, making the sound of a bee with the t- lips closed, the chin slightly tucked, but the throat relaxed.
2: Perfect. I, I think people get the idea of why it's called <laughs> why it's called the bee, the bee breath.
1: <laughs> it's really like a hive of bees in the throat when you close your
2: lips. And
1: it's yes. it's very soothing for most of us. Very, uh, I mean, it's. It, I like to quote um, a line from T.S. Eliot from the Four Quartets because it's so appropriate after practicing. It's it's like the still point in the turning world.
2: Mm, mm, that's lovely. So obviously, there are a lot of things that you referred to there in that little bit of um, other practices that are really helpful for for mood management, um, that we can't get to because it's a radio show. People can't (laughs) see. Um, so if people wanted to find someone who was a life force yoga, uh, teacher, as I, you know, think that that's your, you know, your approach is really, um, a very, uh, as you said, you've been training people now for, you know, for many, many years. Mm -hmm. So how would they find someone? How would they find the right teacher? Well, um, thank you for
1: asking that question because there are many trained life force yoga practitioners. They're not necessarily yoga teachers. Some of them are. Some of them are psychotherapists, psychiatrists, uh, you know, clergy. So, uh, you know, there there are a whole range of folks who uh, are on our website. So you go to yogafordepression.com and at the top on the left it says get help. And under that are find a practitioner in your area. And then it tells you whether they're a yoga teacher or a yoga therapist or a a psychotherapist or, you know, what their modality is. And then there's also a lot of free practices. We've just, you know, set up our cell phone and recorded things along the way. So there are a lot of uh, free practices that you can um, watch and practice with and then of course there're the CDs and DVDs that we've produced that are downloadable or you can order them there, there's a lot of resources right under that
2: get help section well that's great cuz i we're leaving our uh, listeners with some uh uh resources and as you mentioned some of them are free there's also the book that we've been talking about yoga for depression there's the you know the CDs the DVDs so um there are uh, places to continue if people are interested in doing so. Um, Amy, this has been a wonderful conversation. I really, really appreciate your your coming on the show with me today. Mm-hmm. You've been listening to the Yoga Hour. It's been my pleasure to share this time with you. This is Dr. Laurel Trujillo sitting in for Yogacharya O'Brien, and we've been discussing getting in the driver's seat, manage your mood with yoga, with special guest. Amy Weintraub, pioneer in the field of yoga and mental health for over 20 years. And again, the website is yogafordepression.com. Thank you, Amy, for joining us today.
1: Oh, thank you, Laurel. It's been my deep pleasure
2: to be with you. Join us next week when I will be joined by Richard Miller, a clinical psychologist, researcher, scholar, meditation teacher, and author of the I-Rest Program for Healing PTSD. We'll be discussing how we can heal from trauma and free ourselves from fear. The Yoga Hour is a service project of the Center for Spiritual Enlightenment, a meditation center in the Kriya Yoga tradition. For more information, please visit our website, csecenter.org. Remember to subscribe to the Yoga Hour podcast at iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you to the Yoga Hour team, regular host, founder, and director, Yogacharya O'Brien, assistant producers Ann Hayes and Sean Smith, and Jeff Comfort in the sound booth at unity.fm. I look forward to being with you again next week while Yogacharya O'Brien is away. Until then, remember, you carry your own healing and wholeness within you. Share your peace and joy with all that you meet. Bye now.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Yoga Hour, Living the Eternal Way, with Yogacharya Ellen Grace O'Brien. With all the paths open to us, it's easy to feel lost sometimes. Although the darkness of doubt and confusion may make the best choices difficult to see, there is within each of us a light that helps to illumine our way. When I stop and let inner peace be my guide, I am surely led to good no matter what the circumstance. The peace I feel within myself paves any path I'm on, making even the roughest roads more manageable. I've heard that it's not so much the destination that matters as the journey itself. So in the midst of deciding which way to go in life, I go within. Wherever I turn, the signs all point to peace. Peace can begin with me.
3: To find a Unity Church near you, please visit our website, At www.unity.org. At Metaphysical Rock 2, we demystify metaphysics to help you live life at a deeper level. One of our key principles is the recognition that you always have the power to choose how you respond to any situation. Instead of asking, why did this happen to me?, A better practice, which aligns with the metaphysical principles we share, is to ask yourself the question, How can I use this for good? We promise you'll experience a transformation in thinking that will reap huge dividends as you master the art of living metaphysically. For new perspective and spiritual insight, listen to Metaphysical Romp 2 with co-hosts Rev. Paul Hasselbeck, Rev. Bill Holton, and Rev. Cher Holton, Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Central Time, here on Unity Online Radio.
0: Let go of everyday worries and find your calm with positive prayer from Silent Unity, the newest in voice-activated technology available on any Alexa-enabled device like the Amazon Echo. Each prayer and meditation on positive prayer will help strengthen, guide, and comfort you. To enable it, just say, Alexa, open positive prayer. You can ask for a specific prayer on topics like healing, prosperity, and comfort. Give it a try today.